So, Tone, it's time to talk about our big show in April. Uh, first, I want to give a big thanks to Schedulicity and to Cosmoprof Beauty for, for uh, sponsoring the show. Um, yeah, and Maryland, April 7th and 8th. That's right. So uh, we're actually doing a show and classes, and we have the amazing Presley Poe and her friends. So tell us about her friends. Oh, we have Blushing May, Sarah Jane Maples. Who, who just, just won an aha. Uh-huh. She sure did. We got Updo Guru, Casey Powell, for uh, those amazing bobby pin sculptures. It's amazing, right? Yeah. And from uh, Project Runway, we have Jackie and Lynn coming in, and they're going to um, show some uh, editorial work on the stage. And, and, and Lynn Huge does the, fans. And Lynn does the quickest updos in the world, so he's going to teach some of that as well. But then tell them what's happening right before the show. Oh, right before the show and right after the show, we have Johnny Cash Livingston doing some tattoo barbering, brother. Yeah, and he's open for questions and stuff, too. So, you know, if you have any questions while you watch him work. Yes, sir. Up close and personal. Also, uh, another big thanks to, uh, to Cosmoprof for sponsoring the uh, Shadow Presley Poe. And we're going to have the winner there. Yep. Miss Stephanie.p.hair. Yeah, so uh, you'll get a chance to meet her as well. And a big shout out to our boy, Ben Mullen. Ben Mullen. Yeah, he's going to MC the whole event. Can't wait to hear him. So again, all information will be available at PresleyPoeAndFriends.com. Check it out. Check out the classes. And uh, it's going to be a fantastic weekend. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey. Of course, I sit with my best bud, Tom. What's up, Tom? What's going on, brother? Today is like a good day, man. Uh, it, it's one of those days where, uh, you know, like when you're a kid and you and you idolize a, a particular player, football player, hairdresser, and you see them, and then all of a sudden you go to the game and you get to, you know. They make that, eye contact with you? Yeah, that opportunity you get to meet them. Right. Yeah, that's today. That's today? That's today. That's today. So we're in New York at the IBS, and um, actually we're not there, but we're in New York for the IBS. We're actually off-site today. And, uh, at Reka Studios. Reka Studios. And uh, Reka Studios is, uh, was kind enough to kind of bring us in so we could, uh, so we could talk to this gentleman. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, the man. The man. Yeah. The legend. The legend. The one and only. You know, I'm so <laughs> We're going to try to get him to run away from the chair. Yeah. I, again, it's funny because when uh, Corey confirmed this, I was like, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm trying to keep it all inside, but, you know. You're kind uh, of in uh, awe a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, we also have to thank Mary, too, because Mary was the one that actually uh, made this all happen. So, you know, thank you, Mary Chromines, as well. So, uh, yeah. 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 We appreciate it. We, we, we had a bunch of emails go through and a couple right. that didn't go through <laughs> and a couple yeah. conversations. But anyways. I mean, we, we let the cat out of the bag a little bit. Kind of. Kind of. Kind of did, right? So uh, today, please welcome Mr. Robert Cromines to your day off. Yeah, it is my day off. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that was the first official intro of my beautiful wife. We've only been married about four months, so it's kind of nice hearing you say Mary Cromines. But we've been traveling together for oh, I'm many years. Like, I'm kind of like the minister, right? Well, no, I now J- pronounce. No, actually, JP was the officiary. Oh, uh, uh, talk about being a Paul Mitchell guy. You know when your guy marries you, you're in the family. There's no escaping now. So we have lots of Patron before the ceremony, so that got everybody extra, extra. So when she came down 
down the aisle, they cheered. I said, I knew they would. It's like a hair show. Right. So it was super good. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of people there, mostly hairdressers. But they had the one qualification you had to have. It had to be in love. Uh, it was a very uh, kind of passionate love story. So we had a great time there. But I'm a newlywed. And back in New York for the first time in many years, I haven't been to the IBS for a while. I'm going to traipse through it today, see if they still remember me. <laughs> uh, I could never get in. Even when I was famous here, I still couldn't get in the IBS without a ticket. I'm going to see how I do today. Uh, being an icon should matter, but not to right. these old security guards. They don't really care. But I actually met my wife here like 20 something years ago. She came to the IBS. She was 18, 19 years old, her first hair show. Uh, we were at the bottom of an escalator back in the day and there'd just be thousands of people would come watch us and we just held court all day. Sunday says, I can't believe at your level you still work the the pit. I said, I'm glad they don't call it the crotch. <laughs> I said, it's where the people are. And I think that to me, I love a trade show. You know, right. I get to do a lot of big production shows, which I really enjoy. But the heart of me comes from being a trade show busker that can start with zero audience and build. And it doesn't matter where I am, if it's New York, if it's in Brazil, uh, I've got the ability to pull a crowd and make people want to see what you're doing, which is, I think is the key. Uh, I see great platform artists technically, but there are people just walking by. Uh, you know, think about people on the freeway. They'll they'll slow down to watch somebody change a flat. So people want to watch shit. Right. So uh, how bad you got to be to have no crowd in New York IBS? I'm sorry to judge you, but that's just the way it is. It's 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 you know it's kind of like the voice. You know, you either get a chair turned around or you don't. So I enjoy that part. I love the trade show mechanism, as I say. But mostly, what I love is hairdressers just pulling them in. The average person at a trade show may watch for you know 12 seconds sometimes. So it's much like the internet. If you look at it, that shock value be able to pull people in is kind of critical so great to be here even though it's my day off we're not really on our day off we're actually here uh, prepping a model uh, have a unique situation with the BTC on tour team on Monday night where I'll be on stage with four other guys cutting hair they're all a little scared about it I think Matty Conrad said he's pissing his pants just a little bit uh, you know for me I work with a lot of team members anyway so I'm used to it and a lot of people that work on stage with me love it because if I'm on stage with you very little can go wrong uh, I actually love a little chaos I like failure I like when things don't go exactly scripted because my biggest fear for a lot of platform artists listening to this is that you become so scripted and so good at it you become monotone and boring and I think the big thing here is having a bit of risk taking and knowing that no matter what you plan on a plan A it can go wrong and sometimes the plan going wrong excites me makes my little heart trigger makes me have to pick up the pace a little bit and change the way it goes and that can happen from a model fainting uh, it, you know, oh that's happened oh of course it does lights going out we had a show in Canada last year and uh the fire alarm went off and I thought, oh, well, that's all right. It'll go away. And then the guy says, you got to clear the building. I'm like, oh, God. So we went I outside. See, I see the whole building clear. No, Everybody <laughs> thought it was just a trick of mine to get everybody outside because I had all the models out there. A big pink, pink fire truck came in and everybody goes, oh, that showman. He had a whole plan. Oh, wow. But I said, you know, later, because it was five or six teams, I said, if it had to happen to somebody, it should happen to me because right. I know how to handle it. Uh, because, you know, I watch kids every day, especially with the Instagram fame guys. I see them on stage, you know, filling a on Instagram is one thing filling a monster stage in front of five or six thousand people different job oh, yeah. so I'm just saying I like to be a showman I think it's a case of you know working with the audience people freak out when I jump into the audience I'm on the floor in the carpet uh, it's just the way I do I feel a stage sometimes disconnects you from an audience so I like to be with the people so sometimes I may be four feet above you for a minute but the next thing you know I'm in the crowd uh, nobody sleeps in my house <laughs> that's for sure so so where are you from? Where did you grow up? 
Well, you may hear a little bit this morning. I'm I'm originally Scottish, so I've been here for. Uh, I came here when I'm 24. I'll be I'm 50 sexy right now, but I'll be 57 <laughs> next in the next two months. 57 is when they invented ketchup, so this is going to be the best year of my whole career. I'm really looking forward to being 57. But uh, so I've been with Paul Mitchell 30 something years. I was in beauty school. Uh, they had a thing called a VHS tape. They plugged it in. It was a movie of John Paul and Paul Mitchell, the hairdresser. And when I knew nothing about the beauty industry, Paul was Scottish. I watched this guy that had a freedom on stage. He was the original platform artist. Uh, He used a curved comb, curved scissors, flat toppers, duct tape, balloons. I mean, a lot of the trickery that I've developed over the years really was inspired by my mentor. So um, I've had quite a journey. Didn't go to beauty school till I was 24. And uh, I used to deliver pizza while I was in beauty school, which I love. I, I love to find out what hairdressers did before they became hairdressers. Uh, you know, I have a friend of mine who's very artistic. I said, what did you do before this? She said, I worked at Taco Bell. I'm like, well, did you, like, did you get artsy with the salsa? I mean, you know, so if you look at uh, Fern the Barber, we talked about early. Fernie, you know, you know he wears the apron. Right. This is not an accident. He used to work at Home Depot. <laughs> Sorry, Fernie. So he signed it himself. So here he is, Home Depot apron, now Fern the Barber apron. So That's he so did brilliant. make a big shift in costuming. But, uh, you know, well, you know, where did people start? That's a key factor for me. So so you delivered pizza? No. I heard that you had a nice American welcome. Yes, I knew uh, you were going to go here. Yeah, I, I can't let that this go. This is JP's favorite story I tell. Please tell it. Well, it just, you know... I, it's not just that I was delivering pizza. So I had come from uh, Scotland. I'm 24 years old. Uh, I'd never seen a gun. Uh, I'm delivering for Domino's. I get a call, and it's a large pepperoni pizza. I show up there, and what I love, because I'm kind of lazy, was when somebody ordered pizza, they were kind of waiting at the front door. So they'd be up there, and I go, oh, there's the guy. I just got to go get him. So I walk up. He goes into his jacket. Instead of bringing out a wallet, he brought out a gun, pointed at my head. Well, I'd never seen a gun, you know, so it's like I, don't, I, I sort of think because when it made when he sort of pulled it across my face, it made a little rattle. And I thought, that's not really a gun. So he said, give me the pizza, which I gave him. He said, give me your money, which I gave him. And then he said, and he pointed right at me. He said, take your pants off. What? Oh, uh, yeah. And I, so first of all, I'm thinking, I'm going to get raped. <laughs> 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 what type of country is this? I've only been here three weeks. Uh, so he said, take your pants off. And I got kind of Scottish. And I said, no. And he hit me on top of the head with a gun, which I could feel the weight of a Magnum 357. So I tell this story when I lay on the ground with no pants on, two thoughts came to mind because I was going to beauty school. One, make beauty school pay off. And number two, start wearing underwear. Um, <laughs> your, your mother was right. So what what a start. But when I think of the first part, make beauty school pay off, what did that mean for me? As a lot of people that went to school, I was there with 150 future professionals, but I was going to do more to get out of my license than any other guy did. And I've met my teachers since then uh, in Atlanta at the Bronner Brothers show, and they said, without a doubt, you did more with your license than anybody else we've ever taught. Wow. Uh, I think it's an attitude, and I had it when I was a kid in beauty school. Before they'd go to a learning leader, they'd come to me. Uh, I've always been pretty good with people, primarily women. I always enjoyed being around them and kind of putting the connection between how I like to look and kind of connecting with people. Uh, it wasn't about being driven by the geometry, the square, triangle, or 
around. It was being driven by the people. And I think that's a big part. Uh, 50% of what we do to be really successful is not just the hair nerd part. It's it's the dynamic of people and how you interact with that. And I think it's a big part that a lot of hairdressers miss out on. You know, you may get better technically and still be the emptiest hairdresser in the room. Uh, it's about how do you work with people. Uh, hair shows are different. You know, for me, I pay models to come to hair shows and <laughs> clients pay me. So the, right. the relationship is very different and I enjoy playing both of those dualities. I love that. I told you, I was, Corey and I was having a conversation. I wouldn't tell him the pizza delivery story. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll let you hear it too. Cause it, it, I, it, it had me crack it up. It was like, oh my God, it's one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. Yeah, it's, especially because if everybody's out here, they're visualizing me right now with my pants off. That's what I love about the, the power of suggestion. <laughs> right, yeah. So did you always want to be a hairdresser? Did you know that's what you wanted to do? Um, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about lifestyle, but when I was a young kid in Scotland, I seen about 12 hairdressers come into a bar one night, and I said, what are these guys doing? They go, they're hairdressers. They work for a guy across the street. His name's Irvin Rusk. You may know who that name is. He was a mentor right. of mine, another Scotsman. Uh, so... I didn't really know what they did, but I've always dressed a little strangely. Uh, my mother used to run a shoe store, and when I would go in to pour money from her, she would pretend I was a customer until everybody else left because I wore, like, pink pants and craziness. And later on, my relative said, you made your weirdness pay off. So I've always been weird. It wasn't after I became a hairdresser, but I do believe there is a rite of passage to it. But to me, the fashion, being around people, not having a dirty job where you're kind of working in a kitchen all day or whatever, I just thought this was a better lifestyle, even though I I didn't know much about it. I thought this would just be a groovier job long term. And no matter what, pretty much recession proof. You could do hair. You could do it anywhere right. uh, for any amount of money. So if even, you know, we'll work for hair on the side of the street. <laughs> I've got a backup plan for everything. You never know. That's yeah. right. I mean, even though science reminds me kind of, of like what, uh, what our friend Laura is doing and kind of like what Mark Bustos is doing, where yep. they're like where they're going, you know, back into the community and, and, and cutting. Um, you know, like, like homeless guy's hair. Or Mark was just in like, uh, what was he, like in Vietnam? Philippines. Philippines, yeah. He was in the Philippines uh, giving back. And I mean, that's just such a such a great place to be in our industry, too, to be to have that ability to give back, right? No, Mark, Mark's done incredible things. Uh, I was doing a show a couple of seasons ago, and I got invited to one of the shelters. And uh, there's about 12 hairdressers went down through Mark's leadership. Uh, we go through, and the security guy stops me. <laughs> he thinks I'm part of the homeless movement. Homeless people love me. Everywhere I go, homeless people be hitting on me for cigarettes or money, whatever it is. Uh, one guy, uh, many years ago, he I'm, I'm actually going to go meet my wife, having a little secret rendezvous, and I'm standing in a corner outside one of our studios uh, when I had a company called Mullet Productions with a, a couple of gentlemen, Takashi Kitamura and DJ Muldoon, and I'm going for a little you know, rendezvous, and I'm standing in the corner. I got this leather jacket on. It's all kind of ripped to shreds. And this bum starts shouting at me. And I, I just ignore him. But I'm waiting there for 10 minutes. And then eventually I decipher what he's saying. He said, this is my corner. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? He's like, oh, my God. I'm like this, you know, it's just amazing. But one thing about me, I put it out there. I do sort of look people in the eye. I smile at strangers. And I just sort of do that. So uh, I was trying to teach my son how to pick people off the street for customer basis. And all these homeless people 
people were interacting with me. He said, Dad, it's kind of raining. We're not getting a guest. Let's just do some homeless people. I said, no, that's another day. Uh, but let me just say this for those people in the industry, future pros and stuff. If you don't know what a, you know, a bald fade is or a hard part, I'd suggest do it on a homeless guy. See, a lot of people don't realize that watching hair all day doesn't make you better. Uh, you've got to do more hair to become a great stylist, great barber. So to me, what I enjoyed about working with Mark that particular day, I was doing stuff on barber type skill set, which I normally wouldn't do. I'd never do on stage, probably wouldn't do it to a paying guest. But for a homeless guy who's just delighted to have his hair done, uh, it was really quite amazing. So I think sometimes you got to understand there's so many ways for you to get what you need. Uh, one of the number one hairdressers in Brazil was homeless and broke for many years, lived in a very poor neighborhood. Right. Well, you think, oh, my God, what a disadvantage. This guy ends up doing Giselle's hair. But the disadvantage wasn't really a disadvantage because he just started doing poor people's hair for free and became one of the most awesome hairdressers, and then it was easy to do the rest. Wow. So what most people need is experience and practice, and there's a million ways you can get it. If you're walking up to strangers, picking up homeless people, uh, people that have been abused, battered wives, there's so many ways you can put yourself out there doing good for the world and also doing good for you because you need the skill set, and without it, you won't get better. So what's in your way is doing more hair. So I'm just saying there's so many ways that a young hairdresser today that's, can get it out there. That's just such brilliant advice really you know uh, I mean you know aside from like the Instagram craze and aside from all that but even on that like even a lot of people that we've talked to particularly like vivid artists and stuff like kind of the key to their success is, has always been yeah we do a lot of free hair you know you just when if you're waiting for the clients to come in they're just not going to come in but um, until you you know perfect your craft yeah, well let's look at it a different way most hairdressers aren't going to come out and be super busy right away so you could be just sitting around playing with your phone or in the break room, but what you could be doing, like Fern the Barber would do, he cut a doll head. He did something here, go pick somebody off the street. And I just think there's no, there's no way you're going to become an excellent professional in any way to our industry without doing it as much as you can. So if you're not very good at blow dries, you could walk up to people on this rainy day and be getting complimentary blow dries all day. You're not making a dime, but you're twice as good a hairdresser as you were before you started that day. So experience is the mother of learning. When I'm on a platform, people say, oh my God, you're amazing at this. I have more experience than most people still alive. So I'm on a platform almost every single day. I've flown uh, nearly 6 million miles in my career. I've had more strip searches than any Muslim on the planet. Uh, what is a pizza guy got? The guy said to me, random security check. I go, it's never random. Go for it. Dig through. Give me a little back rub while you're down there. Uh, it's it's actually kind of the fun of it. But, you know, as I say, I don't take it personally. I, I'm used to it. When I travel with JP, he walks behind me because he knows they're going to get me. So he creates this, what I call, professional distance. He doesn't want to be caught in case I do carry something. I'm like, you don't dress like this and then try and smuggle shit through airports. Right, it's just not a good idea. Yeah, yeah. They see you walking in about a hundred yards away. Like we got our eye on this yeah. guy. We were just coming through Italy, and I noticed the custom guy. He's kind of down. There's twelve people in front of me, and he just kept looking down, looking down the line, kind of anticipating me. So when I get up there, I notice he's on a phone. So I think it's the new way they're checking stuff now. He was googling me oh. in line. <laughs> um, but let me just say, 
to be a character isn't just stepping on a stage or who you pretend to be on Instagram. I get to live this lifestyle every single day. Uh, if it's not pilots coming out the cockpit to give me shit of the way I'm dressed, because I like your costume, I go, you're wearing a costume. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. And I don't, I don't do it. You know, I, I expect attention from it. I don't right. do it by accident. I'm not looking to be unseen or unheard. I'm looking to be interacted with everywhere I go. Uh, you know who Patrick Dempsey is, Mr. McYummy? Yeah, yeah sure. Uh, we're going through Salt Lake Airport, and I kind of do this thing called putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. I'm smiling at folks, and I see this guy down the kind of ways of it, and he's doing the same thing. And when we pass each other, I go, how are you doing? He goes, how are you doing? Well, my wife looks up and goes, that's Patrick Dempsey. Do you know him? I said, I don't, but we were just putting it out there. <laughs> he was doing just like me. So many people going to work. You know, somebody said, well, you seem quite positive. What do you think about, you know, if you're in traffic? I go, look at all the customers I don't do. It's an attitude. Uh, there's so many ways for you to smile at strangers. You know, everybody says, I love hairdressing. I say, well, tell your face. Uh, the reality, if you really love what you do, you're going to be putting it out in the coffee shop. You're going to be putting it out in the supermarket. Uh, we smile at strangers everywhere we go, and not because we're in a good mood. It's just a better way to interact with the world. And to, believe it or not, it could build your business. Just a friendly little smile is all you got to do. Uh, everybody's looking for the secrets. The secrets is we're in the people business. We're servants of the heart. And if you apply that to the, everywhere you do every day, you're going to gravitate. Clients are going to come crawling to you because they're going to want what you've got. People need the touch point, not the touch up. <laughs> I love that. Well, first off, uh, Robert, you don't know this, but next time you see us, we're going to be wearing shirts that say, tell your face. Tell your face. Yeah, <laughs> I love that quote. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Tell your face. Well, it's just, you know, you can't say you love something. You know, it's like when you see people in a bad relationship, we love each other. Well, it doesn't seem like it. all you do is talk hate to each other. I think it's very important. And it's important too. uh, let's see, Germany, Italy, all the European countries that have co-hairdressers, nobody wants to be a hairdresser now because I don't think the hairdressers there make it look as fun as we do perhaps right. over here. we got kids every day thanks to Instagram going to school. So I think it's a big part of what we do and, you know, giving joy to clients. You know, some of these people don't get the love and things they need. So for me, I think it's a big part of the personality of a hairdresser. If you've got a great personality, this could be a great career for you. Uh, if you've got great art background, it could be a great career. But if you've got great art but you are not got a personal side, it may not be good for you because right. it's an interaction with people that makes it incredible. I think, and I think that's where the real payoff is. Uh, my favorite client, her name is Trudy. She's not going to listen to this, so I'll just call her out here. <laughs> She's got more hairs in her chin than I do. She wears Birkenstocks, which I consider a form of contraceptive. Um, <laughs> She's 73, 74. I told her the last time she's in, let's go take your picture at the ring light. And she said, nobody ever takes my picture. See, we're touching hearts and souls. We forget that, you know, being a platform artist, all that stuff is grand. But you're working on people. And I just say I get as much joy out of watching Trudy light up in my chair as I do as doing a model in front of 12,000 people. Um, there's two sides to it. You got to be a kind of schizophrenic in this world of hairdressing. And I get to enjoy, you know, multiple facets of it. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I, I'm a performing artist, but it, the heart of me is a servant hairdresser behind mm -hmm. the chair, uh, just trying to take people, well, you know. I mean, I mean, I kind of want to explore that a little bit, Robert. So, like, I mean, you've been doing this for like 30 years, and I get that, but but was there a time, maybe early in your career, where you confused those two bits? Like, like where, like, on the floor, like, you weren't being the servant that you were, and you were being more the platform artist, or, or was that part of your evolution? Uh, yeah, it was actually the other way around. It was the worst part of it. I was so a salon hairdresser, I couldn't be a very good platform artist. I was super funny and clever with my mouth, but the way I stole shows in the early days was being real. 
So I'd have some four guys on the team, they'd all do some crazy stuff, and then I'd do a sexy long layer with these little bits around the face with a razor, and that was the moneymaker and the, the thing, because that's what they could go home and utilize. So if anything, my salon reality was showing people how to take a $25 haircut experience and rise it up to $200 without losing a guest. So I became a very reality-driven platform artist. I was really talking about my success behind the chair when I was a $400 a day earner up to $1,600. Within 18 months, I had changed the whole way I played it. So I was really doing not the platform artist usual thing, being, you know, a platform artist just means hairdresser from out of town. What I was being <laughs> was the example of, this is what I'm talking about. So every hairdresser has a fear of raising prices. Here's how I raise my prices. Uh, every hairdresser has the ability to do more clients. Here's how I did more clients using the help of a rising star assistant, new talent, whichever way you want to call it. So instead of me just seeing four or five clients a day, I was able to see 10 clients without running behind. I also learned one of my most valuable systems, which we got here at Rika, wash house, sex in the sinky, who's your daddy? The fact that I would shampoo hair and clients because that was nice. And then I brought in a kid who did it to such a level uh, the client never wanted me to touch their head again. <laughs> so it taught me the value of experience over the technical. Most people want simple stuff. So the way to show off in the modern world is through the experience. Is it remembered or forgotten? So a great shampoo will not only get you great gratuities, it'll build reputation, uh, frequency of visit. It'll lead to take-home sales treatment. Uh, there's not a sharper tool in your business than your sink, believe it or not. In the UK, they call it a back bowl. It's like you want to go throw up in it. We call it a lather lounge, you know. To me, it's about making it a sexy part, but more importantly, it's about delivering an experience, and I think that all comes from the sink. Everything we try to do as hairdressers should be a, an experience-driven thing, so I think that's a part of it. So I then decided to take a few years out from the salon because I thought it was hurting the crazy side of me of pushing myself a little further as an artist, and I can almost go back in time and see where I triggered and started to paint myself in a new corner. I've always done things in a remarkable way, but it was simple stuff that just made sense to people. But then I just started becoming a little more freakish and saying, I want to do things that have just pretty much impossible. Like uh, my 50 year birthday, I was in uh, Emiliani doing a show and I had a curly head of hair and I said, I want to cut this a little differently. And I'd been freehand and curl. And I told Mary to find me a ribbon. I was going to do something with a ribbon to pull the hair down so I could cut it. And she said, I couldn't find the ribbon. I said, don't worry about it. I got it. And that day I went up on stage and I plopped my hat on the girl's hair and just pushed it down and cut around <laughs> the outside. And people said, where did you get that? I said, it just came to me. They go, where did you practice? I said, oh, I never practice. I practice, I practice in front of an audience because that's what the risk I'm talking about. If I was to judge most platform artists, they don't take enough risk. Uh, they go up there, they pre-cut hair for two hours backstage, then go up top and put holes in it. That's not risky. Uh, that's premeditated murder. I'm just saying to me, you want to take uh, a risk, even to the point you fail. Uh, you know, I tend to do a lot of hair on stage. So to me, that covers me just in the odds and the algorithm. I do seven, you're going to like two, <laughs> right. you know. But the reality of it is, is that risk taken shows the audience you're prepared to do stuff. And then if you take that to salon hairdressing, you've got to take a risk with clients. It could be a bang, a fringe. It could be shorter, more layers, stronger color. But without taking the risk, the client will get bored and leave you. And the same is true in a hair show. Without taking the risk, audience will leave you. You want to talk about a slow death? There's nothing like being on stage. <laughs> 
stage when people are leaving and there's no fire. <laughs> no excuse. Oh, they were they were hungry. You know, you were boring. I go up on stage and sometimes go, how's the audience? They go, oh, they're a little rough. I go, well, they weren't rough for me, you know. Um, boring's boring in any country, any language. You either got this and you're connected with an audience or you're not, the opposite of it. So for me, being a platform artist of the last 15, 20, 10 years, perhaps I went a little further doing things. I've uh, uh, been cutting hair with fans right now, blowing hair around. One of my tricks at gathering, two and a half minutes, three haircuts, brought the house down. I do haircuts with balloons. I use a fork. I use a sapo gun. I'm going to try anything. And the great thing, again, about the Internet, which we talk about, my mind's on fire with just the ideas. You know, if you take an idea from one person, you're stealing it. If you take from many, it's called research. So I believe in research. Yeah, you've got to research. And if you're going to research every day, I'm watching things on Instagram that just inspire me. And it's not an exact copycat. Uh, it's just taking the basic idea and taking it further. And I enjoy that. And people say, where's the next one going to come? I just trust that it will that some evolution of what I'm doing will go further and I've sort of painted myself in a corner so I have no choice uh, for people to come up on stage and watch me trim hair that's not going to work you know <laughs> and uh, you know it's, it's a different so, thing for me so what is it so tell us a t do you have, I'm sure you have a story or tell us a time like when you went on the stage and you really were going to push it hard and then like oh shit how do I get out of this Every single day. Um, <laughs> it goes back to what I started with, the fact that I like things going wrong. So for me, I, do, I use a lot of music in a show because I'm a very musical guy. Um, I plan the show to have one haircut in it with a fan because I do photo shoots and I use a fan a lot to move the hair into frame. Right. In fact, my editorial director, Lucy Doughty, gives me a lot of grief over me being the fanboy. So just to give <laughs> Lucy a little bit of this, I decided I'd take the fan and make a haircut. And I shared it with Angus. He said, oh my God, it sounds awesome. But then my musical guy made me the piece and I heard the music and it's got bagpipes. And I go, that's not one haircut, that's three. So the idea was I've got two and a half minutes of music. I could ask him to stretch it, but that's not how I think. I said, that sounds perfect. And as I listen to the music, I see the break on the first point. It gives me about 55 seconds. Next one gives me about this. And I plan this in my head without rehearsing on a stage, just in my head, listening to it as if I'm in the room. And as we get to it, the big stage we had built with an LED had a big open door in the middle. And I had not used it all weekend because I didn't really care for it. Mm -hmm. But I had JP come out and everybody came out. Everybody loved it. But my guy says, if you would just come through the door, it would mean a lot. So I go through the door, and that means I'm completely away from the model and the audience. <laughs> and as I'm backstage, I'm kind of patting myself down and go, oh, shit, I don't have my razor. <laughs> so <laughs> again, think about my mind. i got two and a half minutes to do three haircuts. There's no going back. I can't reframe the music. So as I go out, I first of all, don't have the razor in it. So my team ran in. Suddenly, the model's in place. I use two razors. So I double razor the kid, and I, I take all the hair, and I blow it straight off to the roof, and I double razor. Uh, the next model comes out, the six seconds piece of music. I do double clippers to the front frame and I hit it, bam, 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 bam. At one point, the blade flies off, right? The blade of the clipper oh. is gone. I still keep going. <laughs> I ain't cutting hair for shit, but the crowd's going crazy. And then I throw the clipper into the audience. Mary goes, you never throw the clipper. What's up with that? I go, when it's not working, what am I going to do? Hold it. <laughs> so I eventually get rid of that. And then I go for the third one, which was an A-line triangle bob. And that was just the hair blowing back to me. And I get it from behind. And 
I managed to get there. But you think about two and a half minutes in my head turned into something else because I had failure at first because I didn't have the tools. I've got failure on the next part because I lost a blade. But then my whole team come into it and I just lose thought of the audience and everything else. I'm now in a moment because enough went wrong that I'm no longer thinking about what I planned. I'm just reacting. Just doing. And it's kind of like in my living room. It doesn't feel like you're in front of 4,000 people doing a trick. So the, the kind of things that can go wrong, and uh, you know, I, you know, we mentioned a model fainting, and when somebody does that, um, the whole room goes with them. So you know, when you see somebody faint, everybody's like, ah. Oh. So at some point, you've got to pick it back up again. Now you got to give it a little grace period. You can't just pick it up right away. You got to be polite. But I remember it happens to be on stage, and I said to everyone, "Somebody goes, what are you doing?" I said, "What? Do you, I hate that when it happens to the salon because I feel guilty taking the money out their purse." <laughs> so then the audience laugh, and then I move back through it. So if you can make an audience laugh, you can pretty much get out of anything. Uh, you know, you don't make mistakes; you make discoveries. You know, there's things can go wrong. Uh, sometimes a model will tell me she go to this length, and before I'm going up on stage, she'll drop her hands a bit. I'm not trying to hurt MD, so if they want to be longer, they want to be shorter, I mean, I'm pretty open to it. I'm pretty flexible. I'm not stuck on last year's collection. I'm not stuck on the look of the moment. Uh, I don't cut hair perfectly. I cut it perfect for you. And I think it's a big mm. difference. I watch a lot of stuff on Instagram. It's just one length, one line, chin down cutting. And as much as that's awesome and beautiful, it's very robotic. And I'm just saying that I don't think that's the end all, just being precise to that level. So to me, it's about imperfections. I seem like John Legend there. It's about your imperfections. And I think sometimes if you think about most of the beautiful haircuts I see, and then they spend 25 minutes poking holes in it. Well, I kind of cut, hole, cut holes as I go. <laughs> so, so I don't have to waste my lifeline and get liver spots at the end of the day. Not bagging on these guys. It's just a hair show has a limited space of time. Uh, the great thing about Instagram, it has an edit. A hair show has no edit. So what I've learned over the years of doing hair shows is how to edit out things so that I can make the show run faster. If it's 400 people and larger, once you get past 400 people, it's a show. I don't care what you call it. You can call it a, a love-in. You can call it whatever you want. But once you go past that, it becomes a show. So the bigger the audience, the quicker I make a show go. So if I've got 5,000 people, that show's going to happen in such a quick pace to you, you're not going to feel like it's dragging. And if you think of some of the shows you see, they drag a bit. That's just it, because they're not getting rid of the superfluous like you would if you were editing a movie. You've got to get rid of what doesn't matter. So if you've got a model who the main story is a fringe, and yet you're going to do the hokey pokey in the back end for 25 minutes to get to the moneymaker, pre-cut the back, you know, come right up and hit it right on the head and hit the fringe eye. That's what they want to see. So I just think you've got to kind of think about what the audience is doing. When I build a show, I, I think of it from the audience's point of view. Right. And if you think of things from there, I think you'll do a lot better than just thinking of what your ego thinks you should do. I, well, first thing I do when I hit a room, I go sit in the back of the house, I look at the room, I'm looking at blueprints months before I get there, and I have the ability to transfer my mind into that room even though I'm not there yet. So I'm already seeing the show, I'm already feeling it. I've, I've felt the show I'm doing tomorrow night, I've already rehearsed this enough in my head that there's not much for me to have to think about on site because I've already went through it. And I go through it in such a way, I start to sweat and hive and I'm in show mode. It's like I'm in my living room in my pajamas, but I've got show Bob written all over me. So, <laughs> Do you meditate? Are you meditating on that? Or are you just? I guess you are. You're thinking it through. Visualization, that's what all hairdressers are great at. 
Uh, if you're mixing color in the color bar, you're visualizing what it's going to look like. If you're a consultant with a haircut, you're visualizing what it's going to look like. So for me, I have the ability to be in a showroom long before I'm there and sort of see things and feel where the audience is going to be. And, you know, even though you go into a show and think they're all the same, there's not. A runway makes a difference. A flat Stanley stage, LED, all these things make a difference. And I think, again, looking at the size of the audience makes a difference on how quick it's going to move. So, you know, I think for a lot of people, they get to the site and then they start looking at stuff and seeing what to adapt. Uh, I would just suggest you get in there long before you get there. It'll make a difference. Awesome. That's great advice. Do you, and again, obviously, I'm sure you've gotten better through experience, you know, as, as we were talking about earlier about experience. Because, you know, I, I think when, uh, when a lot of people get on stage, you can sometimes see the fear and, you know, and they get, which is normal because, I mean, being in front of a large crowd is, 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 you know, a number one fear for a lot of people. But you make it look so effortless. And, and, and I, I'm assuming it's through experience, through, you know, just being able to see it in your mind's eye over and over again. Or you just, you like, you know, effort. I just don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's a little bit of effort I, in that. I think, this, yeah, I think that's probably, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, to talk about experience, it's not the obvious. People say, oh, I want to be on stage. Well, there's two ways to be on stage right now. One, it could be in a small salon with four chairs. Uh, Instagram is a stage. So when people say, I want to be on stage, I go, well, what stopped you? Instagram is absolutely free. Facebook is free. So what's stopping you? What's in your way? Nothing. But for me as a young kid, um, I would do in the summers when I was off of trade shows and all that stuff, I would do something as 30 or 40 classes a month. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So that build build my word power. So I have an ability to really talk for 12 hours without stopping. And I think that that's a part... Um, you know, your technical's awesome if you're doing a two-minute edit or a minute edit for Instagram, but when you've got to fill an hour and a half or two hours or a three-hour show, you've got to have words. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of times it's a combination. So, yeah, being a great artist is awesome if you're uh, doing a musical show, but if you're going to have a communication with an audience, you've got to be good at it. And they can smell fear. So when you were talking about that person, you can see the discomfort on their face. You can see the brow is sweating. Uh, if you're sweating up there my advice is wipe it off and acknowledge it it's like cutting your finger might as well claim it uh you know just pretending you're not bleeding to death up there is not going <laughs> to save you especially now with cameras there's not even anywhere to hide you know so those days are going and you know for all of you guys listening the days of faking it are gone i mean i, I ruined it for all of you you know i got to grow up when the industry didn't have such visibility but uh, as I'm just saying, if you've got a fear of public speaking, stage scares you a little bit. I would just say the way you get your experience, just like a boxer running five, ten miles a day, go into small classes, go into schools, just go in there and get used to doing it and get to two or three a day. And I promise you that that word power will come and suddenly you're going to have confidence because it's not just using words, it's non-words, it's all the stuff. I, you know, I watch platform artists, I train platform artists. Uh, I watch somebody cutting hair and say, I'm going to do this because I don't want that. Well, you can't tell the human mind what you don't want. So when you tell me you want this because you don't want that, my mind went to what not that is. Or this is what I did uh, previously and this is what I'm going to do. But what you can only tell them is what you're doing right now. I don't care what you've done. That's like history. And what over here is the future. So to me, it's keeping them in the moment. And a lot of educators miss that. The other pet peeve I have, work and talk. 
mother suckers work right. and talk. <laughs> I, you know, they put their scissors down, they start storytelling. I'm an awesome storyteller and I can get away with it. But I also in the same 45 minutes did seven haircuts. So to me, it's about learning to walk the talk and working while you're talking is a key essence that, for the audience to keep engaged to it. And so many people I see just do not understand that. They just want to talk or cut. And when they do talk and tell you what you did, what I did, the brain does not get that. That's not how the brain works. Uh, we're visual people. We need to see that. And if you show me exactly what your hands are doing, I'm going to learn what you're showing me. But when you get me confused of what you did, what you've done, what you're thinking, what you don't want, that's just a bunch of bullshit, <laughs> to be honest. That's not teaching. And people probably think I'm the most just, you know, unstructured person in the world, and that is absolutely untrue. I have scripts, storyboards. Uh, structure increases learning 40%. So even though I seem like I'm just pulling it around from the atmosphere, I'm just saying the structure is an absolute key if you're going to be a teacher, and working and talking is a big part if you want to be taking care of the learning audience, um, not just how you feel about it. If you really want people to learn and be educated from what you're doing, get used to working and talking, make it a habit. And if you're in the salon, listen to this. It's not a bad habit to follow either. <laughs> um, it's called running behind. Uh, I once run so far behind the reservation. goes, what's up with you? I go, it's your fault. You booked me three old ladies back to back. She said they weren't old when they came in. <laughs> so, so I'm just saying the pace of a salon hairdresser is just as important. So again, being more efficient that you can have conversations with your clients without stopping and the same should run true on stage in my opinion oh man there's so, so much that that you've seen or touched in our industry so we talked a little bit about you know the the early days uh you know you knew you always wanted to be with paul mitchell since school yeah right uh, we talked about you in the salon and we talked about you entering the the whole platform artistry work and now you, you talked about the last 10 or 15 years where you have really been trying to push it a little bit more. What is the, what do you, where do you see hair? Do you see social media still having the impact in the future on hair as it has today? Or do you see it shifting somewhere else? Now, without a doubt, I've always loved motion. I've always loved videos. So we used to make them kind of more for fun or show support. Uh, I'm fascinated with it. I shared with you guys earlier, I have a haircut right now with 1.7 million views. Uh, I just love it. Now, there's a bit of shit talk on it. Um, so here's my statement here. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. But unlike an asshole, every opinion should be probed. <laughs> yeah. So it's like when somebody does talk shit about me, sometimes if I do dare to look at the comment, I look into their little life. And it's amazing because, you know, I have no problem disliking something, but I just smart enough to know I shouldn't write it down that I dislike it and some of the people you know shit people want to talk uh, to me try and find your favorite thing and if you get nothing to say about it don't say anything uh, but that is just the industry but it's that anonymity that gives you that ability to talk shit you know but think about it you're in an audience doing a show there's people in the back row going what the hell's that guy doing <laughs> so, what's he doing with all those fans yeah the only thing about Instagram is it's showing it but think about what Instagram has changed rainbow hair barber movement um, you know it's created a whole bunch of celebrities that used to be coming just from manufacturers and to be quite honest sometimes watching a lot of manufacturers 
manufacturers do their stuff was sounding like Charlie Brown's parents. Wah, 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 wah. Um, so the reality of what's happening in the industry, I don't think will ever go away. <clears throat> Transparency is what we all need. So if you're an owner of a salon, you want to be a little more transparent with your business because the old day of keeping the book locked down and making sure they don't see their customer list, those days are over. Everybody has a contact with them. So I think the, this is the years of transparency so you're able to see more than we've ever seen before and I don't think that's ever going to go away and like I mentioned a little bit before because young artists are seeing all this stuff people instead of going to graphic school are becoming hairdressers or barbers because they see an industry they could really find a lifestyle in because making people's business cards would not be a sexy job in my opinion now if you're making somebody's cards and you find it sexy you can call me and disagree with me but I just think this is the most brilliant time of our hair industry we're going to see much more coming in and more talent than ever before and I think the industry in the 1980s 90s there was a bit of fakery nobody was seeing it but now there's just no hiding and I think it's getting better and better so I don't think it's going away not at all I think it's just going to continue to be the way we communicate but let's talk about it in a client world it's how we should communicate with clients. You know, I've got a beautiful model over here. We're not talking about angles and shit. We're showing each other pictures. So my favorite restaurant's Denny's because you can see <laughs> Moon over Miami and what it looks like. I want that, but hold the sausage, you know? So I, to me, it's about now as a hairdresser communicating with images. So if she says she wants layers or she wants a short haircut or a fringe, it's showing her what a fringe looks like. So it's now really not just relying on your hairdresser's got good words to tell you what he's going to do don't trust words because you don't know what they mean you want to see pictures so that's why you got to build the equity in your own page but you've also got to study to find the types of pictures that are making a difference and if you want to sell ideas the best way to sell it is showing people pictures that fit or pertain to them so i love what's going on and again over the old way we're just telling me how good you are don't tell me shit show me how good you are <laughs> and i just find that if i'm in a country where nobody speaks english the only chance i have is pulling out my Instagram or my storyboard to show them the type of crazy color, crazy haircuts we want to do. And once you see the pictures, like they're like, sure. sure. But, but, you know, to explain this stuff doesn't make sense. Hairdresser to hairdresser. So what would a client, a novice, you know, pick up out of your words? Uh, the old days we'd say, you know, I'm going to make it wispy. What type of word was wispy? What does wispy mean? Uh, people, I'm doing the segment uh, a few weeks and I'm doing the texture. And I'd like texture in my mind has so many things in my head it doesn't say one thing to me so I find that to be a very terrible word it just means everything so I just feel that certain times like the, of, like the word brassy right like bra- <laughs> I had a yeah. level four come in and go my hair's brassy I'm like what what, what is brassy it just kind of goes there all, word, all, right? all short hair is a pixie I mean it, it doesn't really navigate <laughs> through all the realms <laughs> thank, of short hair thank you Don Godfrey <laughs> yeah, no, Don, the, the dawn of social media the dawn of social media you gotta love the guy yeah, he used to him. sell furniture and you know now he's selling in the hair world and it's kind of ironic as somebody not of our industry would go out and create two of the most awesome website or pages in the world um, that's something great about having so much experience sometimes you're so in the soup you can't see for soup and sometimes it takes people not of our industry to come in and see opportunities so he's one of my favorite he coaches me uh, he gave me grief last week said I was over posting um, <laughs> but I was actually trading a couple of my guys to show them that what they were doing on their little page wasn't working and you know motion was going to dominate more than a picture in, in most cases so uh, I was really just trying to use my page to show him something so I did triple post but uh, I, 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 I slowed down Don you got the wagging finger from Don right. I, I get a couple of those well, he goes oh look what I'm up to he's, he's an awesome guy and he's again he's super fun I brought him on stage once and he still talks about it um, you know 
I'm the type of guy that sees what people should be seeing, should be listening to. So even though, you know, before he was necessarily popular, not on his pages because they were killing it, but when he was going around the industry talking, mm-hmm. um, you know, I just think that he's a guy who should have a microphone because I hear all this horse shit at shows. I'm like, maybe take that guy's mic and give it to Don. Uh, maybe he's not a professional speaker, but I will say this. Maybe you're not the best speaker in the world. If you got good content, you can, uh, uh, if it it's good matter. content, content is king in my world. So my point is most people don't have great content so you better know how to be a good public speaker but uh if you've got great content or if you've got great skill set you may be able to be not the traditional public you know speaker and get away with it it's not doesn't have to be the same on md uh fidel sassoon was the greatest public speaker i'd ever heard uh when he spoke in low tones you wanted to listen to this guy he every time he spoke on stage i would cry like a baby as if he was talking right to me uh i love the guy i see him first in chicago he wheeled me over after a show and said, come here, young man. I go, hey. He's like, you're incredible. You're the best i ever seen. And he said, not just your hands. He said, your mouth. I said, that's good. I'm after your old job. Uh, <laughs> but to me, to see a man like that communicate, it wasn't how he did hair to me. It was the way he communicated his ideas. Uh, just to me, one of the greatest public speakers I've ever heard of any industry, uh, not just the hair world. Wait a sec. You told Vidal Sassoon you're taking his job. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look at the balls on this guy. Well, I was a young, cocky kid at a time. Now I don't feel so young and cocky. But uh, He told me I was doing an interview with him, something just like this. He told me I was the greatest showman he'd ever seen in his life. And uh, he said, uh, let me describe to our listeners what you're like on stage. And he went to do it. And he said, you know what? I can't describe you. I said, that's got to be the greatest compliment I've ever had in my life or career. That Vidal Sassoon found me, you know, couldn't even describe what it was. But he mentioned on that tape. And when he says my name on the interview, I mean, I just melt like a little girl. Uh, He is an astounding man and just an incredible mentor to the whole beauty industry. And, you know, for me to have this guy be, my son's in school right now. And he's like, you knew Vidal Sassoon? I said, no, I really knew Vidal. I sat in his lap. I've, you know, he, he wasn't drunk, but I'm sure I was. Uh, he's just a, a brilliant guy and great to be around, you know, and always kind of went out his way to see talent as I do. I go to a show and I see somebody I don't know that I'm impressed with. Mm-hmm. I will take my big ass all the way backstage to go tell them how good they are and then tell them who I am. <laughs> it, it's not even important. Just to me, that's what the industry needs. Too many people come up, show up at the show, don't say hi to NMD, don't don't acknowledge MD else's model, do their job and leave. I'm like, that's not the industry I want to be part of. Uh, I'm a cheerleader backstage. I'm giving everybody a bit of love. Somebody does a good job on stage, I'm going to let them know. They're coming off stage, we're applauding backstage. I think we got to understand if we're a community, we got to help each other because if the audience is going to be delighted today, it's because seven or eight of us do our jobs right, not just right. one of us. Uh, you know, I love to steal a great show, but if I'm the only dominant force and everybody else has a bad day, people won't pay to come see us. So I think it's a share responsibility and the benefit for doing shows is having you know a little interaction with each other you know one of my guys uh, Angelo said to me well I'm not a showman and I said well it's not my fault and they call it a show <laughs> you know and I'm backstage with him he has a sign up outside his model room no photographs see the idea if I take part in a show and invest money and time into it Backstage, we've got to have a you know a, a connection because the benefit of being backstage with an Anthony Muscola or Robert Lombetta, Vidal Sassoon, that's the benefit. That's why you took the job. This job I'm doing this weekend, people are so excited to be on a platform with me. Uh, Gina Bianca, what's what's her name, honey? Yeah, Gina uh, Bianca. Yeah, yeah. Gina, Gina, she, she, Gina did a, well. she did a 30 minute 
the F storm on video because she found out we were doing this show together. I loved it. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and I just saying that. So for me, I remember that as a kid when I knew I was going to a show and I was going to be working with a headliner, Anthony Mascolo, or doing stuff with Vidal, or Luis Langaris, some of these incredible people I got to grow up watching. And I've also been a student of the hair show. So as much as everybody would do their job, um, I'm the guy that in between breaks would go to every other show in New York and watch other people. Uh, so I would tend to spend more time watching just as many other things in there uh, to help perfect my craft. I see too many people do their job and leave like they're the only center of the universe. You don't know that. And I'm just saying it's one of the things I love is going in and, you know, they don't really see me. They see the hat. Trust me, if I walk into your room and you're in the middle, you're going to know I'm there. So you better have your shit together, buddy, uh, because it's going to be a painful death if you don't. And not that I would say anything, it's just you're going to know. Just like I've been cutting hair when Vidal sat in my audience. I've been cutting hair on stage when Trevor Sorby came to the front row and I cut hair with a fork. And afterwards, I thanked him for standing right in the front row. And he goes, no way he would do that. I go, he would do it to me. Uh, I love the, the, the human reaction and interaction that we get to do. It's the part of being a performing platform artist with live audiences, I think, is the magic of it. And, you know, we talked about things going wrong, but you never know what's going to come out of an audience member. So sometimes being in the house, I can get people to stay stuff and do stuff. Um, you know, it's a big part that you know, makes it keeps it interesting for me, even though I've been doing it a while, because it's still got to so be cool. fun for me. Right. That's cool. I, um, a couple, I want to just half step back. Just so we uh, we actually talked to um, to Trevor a couple months ago, and uh, he talked about Vidal Sassoon, and he said that you know if you've ever held a blow dryer, you've been inspired by Vidal Sassoon. Yeah. You know, which is just which. Of course, we know that through history, but when Trevor said that about Vidal, it like it like you know it was like cement, like it, it sunk it in there. That's pretty cool. Well, even if you look in all these hairdressers right now in the Instagram world, they're all looking awesome. But everything they're doing is a, is a, is a procedure that this man did before them. And uh, I would ask Vidal certain things like, did you invent? He, he didn't call it a blow dryer. He called it the hand dryer because the world thinks he invented it. He says he wouldn't even claim it. He said, well, at the same time, other people were doing it. And he was so gracious about it. Uh, one of my favorite stories he talked about was a lady that he was doing her hair. She was a model, uh, had got married, had a couple of kids and kind of lost her figure. Uh, he had just done the 6.7 haircut, which is a big, big haircut around the 60s. Um, Moffat was one of the clothing designers. So this girl came in, pretty much was complaining about her, her marriage, just like every other client in the world. Uh, and Vidal kind of listened to her and she said, what I think would really fix my marriage is me having the 6.5 haircut, 6.7, whatever it was called. And um, Vidal said, no, you can't, you're not ready for that quite yet. You know, because she had kind of put on a few pounds. He actually sent her to Weight Watchers. This lady over the next six weeks started to lose weight. She was going to a trainer. He called his designer friend and had this designer friend make clothing for her. And she came in the six weeks later, all ready for this new haircut that was going to transform her marriage. And uh, Vidal said, you're still not ready. So he sent her away again. And this happened five or six visits to the one day came and she was looking good, her cheekbones. And he loves facial features, the cheekbones, the jawline. I mean, he just, he could make it sound like he just wanted to eat it. <laughs> he could see her features. He could see her bones. And he gave her the new haircut. Three days later, he gets a tap on the shoulder. It's the husband. And he said, Vidal, I just want to thank you for giving me my girlfriend back. See, he was a heart and soul stealer too. It wasn't about the geometry. It wasn't just about that. But uh, this man was 
the first to change how we thought about ourselves. And I think that's why Trevor holds him in such high regard, uh, as is most of the industry. And there's not a school in the industry using a curriculum that didn't divide and conquer from the Vidal Sassoon originals. Um, you know, that is just the word precision that we all shoot for. Uh, craft hairdresser is just another way of saying precision. Uh, I just think there's something to that, that he's had a huge hand in it. Uh, I worked in New York years ago with a photographer called Richard Avedon. You guys ever heard who that is? Richard Avedon? I don't know the name. Google it, Google it. He did a movie called Funny Face with Audrey Hepburn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, uh, Fred Astaire played my photographer friend. Uh, he's doing a shoot with Vidal. The old days, the hairdresser got no respect. He's like, send the model out, Avedon says. Send the model out. Vidal said, I'm not ready yet. He's like, I'll come back and get the model. Vidal would not budge. He wouldn't send the model out because he knew the hair had priority just as much as makeup, as wardrobe, and as the photographer. And it turned out to be a great campaign. You know, uh, to me... Uh, and I'm doing this interview, he said he had a walkout when he opened his first salon. So he's doing a photo shoot, depressed, because he just had six, six stylists, a six stylist salon and three walked out on him. And I just want everybody to hear this. If it can happen to Vidal Sassoon, if it can happen to me, it can happen to you. So I'm just saying, as he moved forward, he started the new empire with partnerships that gave him much more safety as he moved forward. And that way he was able to build a company that he had people committed to that were going to be there long term. So to hear Vidal's voice crack after or maybe 50 years absence of this walkout like it felt like yesterday for him wow. um, I'm just saying he's a remarkable guy he had poor dialogue he learned to fix his language through going to acting school I mean this guy didn't have it ready for life he was not destined to be the king of hair uh, but yet if he put himself in these places and did things that nobody else would ever think about so a remarkable guy remarkable that's, that's amazing because I mean I mean I went to the hair school in the in the early '90s, right? And even it was either you know Tony guy or Sassoon's. Everybody was talking about, but everything went back to Sassoon's, right? You, you know, precision haircutting, like you were saying. He has touched, I think, probably every hairdresser, whether you know it or not, in one way or another. Yeah, yeah, quite a guy, quite a guy, and just the sweetest guy, sweetest, 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 just a gentleman. So. Yeah, definitely missed for that. And again, everybody should watch. He made a beautiful movie, worth a watch. Uh, I've uh, seen the it. Michael Gordon one? Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful one. And I think that's what inspired me to want to interview him because I thought Michael did a great job, but I thought it was a very Michael perspective. Mm -hmm. And uh, something Tim Hartley said is, you know, the, the man or the myth. And that's mm -hmm. kind of what I wanted. So I actually wanted to get him on stuff I thought I had heard. Uh, like I heard a story that he did this big show in New York and it was awesome and he was a big celebrity because New York's fashion and they're vogue and all that stuff. But he went to Los Angeles and that could be a humbling experience, just beware. <laughs> so he goes down there, there's no models at the model call. So he goes up to Hollywood Boulevard picking up models for the, the girls. Walk, he walks up to a girl and says, hey, I'm Vita Sassoon, I want to cut your hair. Uh, she said, I don't care what your name is, it's 50 bucks either way. <laughs> so I hear a rumor that he did a whole hair show with ladies of the night and uh, he confirmed that to be a true story. Bravo. Uh, yeah, so I just think to me, the guy was an absolute legend. And again, I just wanted to get some of the, the points out there that I kind of heard about that were just awesome about him. But again, sweet, sweet man, uh, dearly missed. But uh, again, like most people who want to leave a legacy, nobody's going to leave a legacy quite like Vidal. Uh, he has changed the world a, a million times over. And then if you want to 
to look at some of the top talent in the world that does work on stages I do. Uh, there's not many. Seiko is one. I mean, you've got so many people. DJ Muldoon. I mean, you just go down the list. Some of the guys I work with. I've got one here from New York, Cristiano. Uh, there's a lot of that. Angus Mitchell went there, you know. So we've got a, still a touch point to that. And, you know, Bidal Sassoon's still much alive and so, so many people. Oh, that is... Preach. Yeah, you know? that's what I feel like I'm sitting in a sermon. <laughs> <laughs> Minister Robert. Yeah. It's the headphones and the microphone. That's like it, it, man. Make, makes it all intimate and close and stuff. That's crazy. So, you know, as we slowly start to wrap this up, uh, you know, again, we truly, truly appreciate just allowing us to kind of pick your brain and uh, inspire so many uh of our listeners I'm, I'm sitting here as you're talking just kind of going through my mind like i you know i'm 50 i'm just i'm fired up now i'm like i'm seeing things i'm like because you were dropping so many just mind-opening bombs of of how we should be what we should be doing to help each other to you know what i mean mm-hmm. we're in a in one of the greatest industries in the world and we can really help and and build each other up and that's what we should be doing and that's one of the reasons why we started this podcast. But we wanted to, you know, people that you that have touched, traveled six million miles around the world, and you still have that smile. When we when we walked in, you know, that smile, you could see the smile as we were approaching. You weren't, like, you know, sitting there and trying to, like, oh, my God, you know, I'm doing this podcast. You, your face was warm and welcoming, and, and, you know, you invited us in. And, you know, I, I truly, truly appreciate everything you have done for our industry and, and just, you know, even today by, you know, allowing us to, to get oh, close my to pleasure. you. My yeah. pleasure. To come and crash your uh, your model call here. Yeah. You, you don't see me doing much prep, do you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's all Mary. Uh, well, you know, I have a great relationship. Mary does a, a lot of the back stuff. And today, yeah, we only have one model. Sometimes we have 60. Uh, but we divide and conquer. I kind of do a lot of the production stuff, and I kind of try to save some of my energy for stage where I'm going to need it. Right. Uh, but the team that I travel with most often, led by Mary, just are miracle workers. Uh, we just did a three-hour show in Israel, and all they could talk about is they'd never seen an artist on stage smile more than me. And I say, the rest of you should shoot yourselves in the face if that's the way I beat you. Um, it's just something that I do, and I've, I've always been grateful for it. Again, when people, I remember the person that stopped me the very first time and said, they, can they take a picture? And I still take thousands of pictures. We have an event coming up in a few weeks called Caper. There'll be three and a half thousand future professionals. And these people are like, uh, they can't get enough photographs. Uh, But I do it with honor. And long before there was Instagram and a great way to become famous, I did it the hard way on the carpet. Uh, IBS New York, I'd take three or four thousand pictures a weekend there. But that's what people took home with them. So... I, I never take it for granted. I'm just still so grateful, even after all these years. And even though to some people they see, you know, well, you've made it. Uh, I don't look at it that way because the next show I'm going to do is going to be the one that defines me. And that's what I'll be judged on. So uh, you don't get to bring all that history with you. You don't get to bring it. And especially right now with these Instagrammers, they're like, who's that guy? Is that Harry Potter? Who is that over there? Um, and then after the work, after I finished on stage, they're like, they want to come to me, which I love. So I, I love being, you know, a little bit of a surprise act. And that's, again, what's new for me when I go to a gathering or some of the shows I get to do. You know, people know me very well, but I love to go to shows where people have no idea what's going to happen. Uh, I did a show called Bronner Brothers, which is a black hair show. I was the only white guy there. And I'm going downstairs to do my gig. And um, there's kids backstage and it's almost like gun, gunfighters. Uh, they're like checking me out, looking me up and down, which you 
you got, man? What you got? I'm like, oh, don't worry about a thing. And I go up first, and they, when I come off stage, they were just throwing their shit down. <laughs> they, they didn't want I just ruined it for everybody. You're like, follow that. <laughs> you don't want to follow me. You really don't, not often. And uh, again, there's people I would look at sometimes and go, I don't want to follow that either. But uh, as I say, when it comes to show world, I'm a showman. Uh, I am absolutely in my element up there. I've got a conversation, and I thread through hair to business. As you've seen me today, you'll ask me a question. I, any question you can ask me, I know what answer I'm going to give you. But with an audience, I think it's a combination of your yeah, hair technique and stuff, but there's got to be reality built into it. There's got to be something that they take home with them that can change their you know, their reality behind the chair. And I think you know whether you're an independent stylist, it makes no difference to me. We are all based on our performances. Um, one of the big things I'm kind of working on right now um, is time. I think it, I could see a world in the modern future where hairdressers are paid by time. You know, there's that whole sexual discrimination of short hair. It all depends how long it took me. Uh, every other profession in the world works on time. Attorneys, doctors, lawyers, you know, all work on time. Speaking of Gina Bianca, that's what she does. Yeah, so yeah. she's charging by the hour now. Yeah, so her yeah. whole salon is. So, um, you know, and her menu is just like, you know, this is what we charge, you know. And uh, it's just, I, I think that is the future, you know, the well, way that we charge. Even if I'm 200 bucks an hour, because I'm a little quicker than most folks, it's not the most expensive haircut you've had. Mm -hmm. Certain clients want to take a longer journey with you. Some don't. They want to be in and out. So I think it's a case of, you know, right now we do it with corrective color. We're big fans of Gina's, so we kind of hear it. Uh, I turn a lot of my staff onto her. I want them to hear people that are talking about big tickets and showing what it's worth. Uh, Mary started on corrective color, first of all. Lady wanted to be box black to, you know, beautiful blonde. It took her six and a half hours. She quoted her 150 an hour, and it all worked out. Perfect. Hairdressers are too quick to give it away, and if you're going to live, use five bowls of lightener like Mary's using today, there's got to be a cost for that. Uh, and sometimes what you don't know, you know, a fish can't climb a tree. It doesn't make it stupid. Just because you're not charging right now, you don't understand it. But if you sell your value, and what I've always promoted since I started doing this job was how to help hairdressers charge more. Uh, right now, we got an average ticket in my company of $160. I just did interview a kid. His name's Jason, $25 barber. He's on 60% commission, thinks he's killing the world. I said, well, what do you think 40% of 50 bucks is? It'd be $3 more, right? So I'm just saying, we got to understand that we got to be slightly logical. We got to at least know arithmetic. That's all I'm asking you. Uh, every hairdresser, I say, well, I don't like numbers, but yet you cut hair to numbers, 45 degrees. You take three o'clocks. You mix color with 20 <laughs> volumes, 6A. All you do is numbers. I said, if you don't like numbers, I'll pay you with a smiley face. Uh, the fact is numbers are a big influence. And I would just say for most people, they've got to kind of balance that. Uh, if you're working in a salon, you think you're doing good. I'm just saying sometimes look out the window and see what other people are doing. That's, again, what I love about these podcasts. You can get aligned to certain people and go, oh, my God, I had no idea people could charge that much. And increasing prices without losing guests is something you've got to have a strategy on. Uh, you've got to become in demand. We call it red, reputation, experience, and demand. But as you get in demand, you can charge more for stuff. And that's what a lot of people need to understand, especially if they're freelance hairdressers. Who's gonna who's gonna give you the raise? Who's gonna raise your value? Often they go out and do it, take a price, and they stay there. Whereas if you work for a guy like me, I'm gonna raise you constantly based on your numbers and performance. So I think it makes a difference. So if you are in an independent, make sure that you're constantly looking at your numbers to see where the additional charges and how do you know when it's times? Because you're so in demand. Uh, a hotel room to this weekend in New York is so in demand, the rooms are more expensive. And I think that's what you got to remember. So your objective is to become in demand. Then you've got an ability to keep raising your prices to see what the market can hold. And I would just say for everybody, because I don't know where your listenership comes from, it's got nothing to do with where you live. 
not really. You know, uh, Sundays where you live, you're like, well, I live in a small town. Well, if you're the best thing since sliced bread in this small town, there's no reason why repetition, experience, and demand won't set you free. So I tend to ask hairdressers, not what you charge for a haircut. I want to ask you what your average ticket is. Uh, in California, commission is now illegal. So I'm now paying all my staff hourly, and that's now based on performance. So what I'm really looking for is for hairdressers to work two to three days a week and find a successful story and do other things on the other times. Uh, I don't think the industry is about five, six days a week anymore. Mm -hmm. I think if anything, there's a, uh, an indicator why so many people see value in freelance. I think they got sick of being told what to do. So we made it such a stringent rule-following game being part of the team that we took the fun out of it. And as I say, we got to keep a little bit of understanding who we're working with here. We're not working with neurosurgeons. We're hairdressers. We got into this business to have fun. We didn't want regulations. So don't try to force feed them down right. me later. What you've got to do is teach people the value. What's the value you recommend in take-home products? Oh, the Internet's selling it. The Internet's not a threat. They can't let you smell it, can't consult with you. Uh, if the Internet's smarter than you, yeah, you've got trouble. But if you've got to be a little smarter to make Internet not be a threat to it. So I think there's so many things we're going through right now but uh, to me it's about understanding the numbers are just as important as the technical a lot of kids are getting carried away with the technical but not understanding they've got it you can't be a starving artist uh, I think behind the chair just did a thing here and they said the average income is 24,000 a year we're charging 25,000 in some of our skills for an education wow. so we've got to work on that and uh, I'm just saying charging more is the dream I have I want to see people getting paid and if you're making you know if you're having fewer clients with more meaning, you don't need to be killing yourself. Yeah, so this little kid for 25 bucks is doing 10 haircuts a day. At 50 bucks, five a day will set you free. So it's just a case of understanding what you want and being clear what that is, uh, not just on your goals of being a platform artist educator, but financially, what's your goal? What's the number that would set you free to give you the lifestyle that you want? And I think that's a big part of what I'm looking at. And whether you're a working mother or whether you want to travel the world or be an educator and a hairdresser, I think it's a blend of things that people want these days, not just a job for 60 hours a week. Those days are gone. Are you teaching that at, at the schools as well? Um, I would say at the schools, it all depends because they're in so many different states. Uh, whenever I'm in a school, I'm talking business. Like I said to kids, where are you going to work? Uh, most of them don't even have an idea yet while they're in school. I said, you know, what are you going to ask a, you know, a salon owner? The first question I would ask any potential salon owner if I was a future professional, how many walk-ins do you get a day? And what's your average ticket? Because no matter what the pay rate is, it's going to be based on the average ticket. So if I walked into a salon and said my average ticket is $28, if I was making 50%, I'd be making 50% of 28. You come to my salon, I say our average ticket's 160. You can do the math. So two key questions if you're looking at that. And I think to me, um, you know, there's there's more reality. Not every hairdresser is going to beauty school thinking they're number savvy. They've got to become number savvy, at least 50%, and it'll help them understand everything else because uh, eventually hairdressers get burned out not because they're not enjoying their work they're just not making enough money for it so the average of the industry is 1.1 services per guest which means they're doing 10 haircuts to every color service coming in and there's other ways like barbers frequency of visit you see in the billboard McRib is back right. <laughs> it's not because there's a shortage of pig what they're doing at McDonald's is spiking their frequency of visit so what barbering has showed you that frequency of visit could be up to 20 visits a year so wow. chemical addiction which I've been selling for 35 years uh, you know, don't forget, I, I created the color bar. That word is mine. I actually own it. I, I own that word with JP, uh, color bar. Uh, oh, shit. I got some signage to take It doesn't down. matter. <laughs> it's everywhere. It's like Vidal, though. 
people asked him later, were you worried because other people ripped off your idea? He said, no, when you're bringing common knowledge to an industry as a visionary, you get what you get. I've never felt mad about people doing it. Furniture companies buy me drinks when I'm at shows. Uh, to me, it was changing how people play the game, and the color bar did that. We used to do it in a dispensary where you walked away and mixed a mystery bowl and came back. A color bar is an interactive celebration of color. So even a haircut client could get excited enough to experience color. So I think to me, if you really want to change the industry, do that. And it'll all come back to you. So for me, like TZ, everybody's doing back comb balayage. Uh, I started cutting hair and coloring hair with TZs 25 years ago, long before Instagram was even known yet. <laughs> and it's everywhere. But think of what that means for an old guy like me. It gives you a lot of pride. And you know whether people recognize where it comes from, I don't think that's the point. For me, it's the principle of it. I don't often talk about it. I take it for granted. But where I get the biggest kick, we have 116 skills. The skill she goes to uh, has a color bar, has a wash house, and it has take home. These are all systems I developed that are becoming common knowledge every day. Uh, people don't fail in our industry. Systems do, and that's what we're trying to work on. So for me, it's about leaving an impact and leaving something better. But I've always been about passionate uh, about making money as a hairdresser as I was about the artistic side. And I think that's a big part to, to remember. And it doesn't need to be a million dollars. It's just a case of what sets you free. What is your lifestyle? What is that for her, for me, for you? It's different for everybody. Uh, I once made a statement, I make a million dollars a year, but I still spend 1.2. So <laughs> the making the money doesn't change yet. It's really right. just a case of you know what you do but again it is a great way to keep score to do more and I think I pay a lot of attention especially for the people that work with me I'm trying to change their values every day and getting them to that higher proportion so on that higher ticket value they're able to do less clients some hairdressers doing only three guests a day can have a $900 day this is a beautiful thing here if you can kind of put all three services together treatment's a big one um, you know, everybody needs treatment. Everybody needs to be in therapy. So I'm just saying, if you look at a client coming in, she's down for a haircut. There's so many great ways you can upgrade that experience that will make you a much more successful hairdresser, not by trying to get thousands more clients. Most hairdressers that just work on new clients, new clients, new clients, often are losing more than they're ever getting. Uh, loyal clients is all you need. And you only need about 100 loyal clients coming in six or eight times a year with a reasonable average ticket to make any type of living you want. Uh, my wife's an example working part-time uh, makes $100,000 a year working part-time behind the chair. Uh, that's a beautiful business right there. And it's not the norm, but, you know, we got work to do. So I can't wait till there's an Instagram page on money, uh, much like Gina's done. Uh, uh, one of the balayage girls, I can't Lisa does loves balayage. She's mm -hmm. on one of Gordon's there. My staff loved that one because she talked about the money and money. I think it's a critical part. And, you know, it's not just about art for art's sake. There's got to be some financial compensation. And we shouldn't be scared to charge it if you're in demand and you're doing the right things. Uh, if you've got a $50 haircut, it's not because you cut hair really priced precisely. It's about the experience that goes around. And that's what wash house, color bar, all the things we brought to the system make the difference on. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Like I said, we 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 could do another six hours with uh with oh, Mr. Crowbeans here. Yeah, I, I mean, just he can help us in so many different ways, and he has helped us in so many different ways. And uh, you know, I I wish you were uh, where you are now when I was in hair school in '92. You know what I mean? So I could go to your school. I know, right? But uh, yeah, dude, I you know, much much love. Well, thank you, guys, Robert. Man, this is awesome. 
Thank you very much. My pleasure, Thanks my pleasure. I'm going to follow you now on Instagram. <laughs> right, <laughs> we'll yeah. I actually had no idea who these guys were. <laughs> yeah. I thought they were coming in to mug me or rob me. I wasn't quite hey, sure. If you're, if you're listening to this, I want you to go check our Instagram. And if Robert's not following us by I'll the time this you. comes out, then I'll I want you guys it. to bombard him yeah. with DMs telling him to follow us. Yeah, and, and give me a follow. A couple of years ago, Mary Richter gave me grief and said I, ha- I wasn't working on my Instagram number. That's because I was an icon of the beauty industry, in all fairness. <laughs> uh, but I also just noticed lately she has an incredible network, 1.3 million followers. But her own personal Instagram page, I am kicking her ass right now. I oh, are she, you calling Mary Gable out? I am. I am just a little bit. So right now I'm on a personal journey. I've been using IGTV, which I love because it gives you a longer format. I've been killing that, doing real well. But uh, I'm just saying I like to communicate to the industry. I used to fly around on do all that stuff to see them but now I feel quite comfortable on my phone whenever I feel like talking to the industry on a train ride uh, I can communicate to my people and uh, people a couple of years ago Mary's like you know you ever get any trash talk on your page I said not a bit but ever since I started hitting some big numbers up there people be talking people be talking some shit Uh, I don't even look at it and I don't think MD should because if you're a hairdresser like me you have a little heart and you just don't want to hear it Uh, so I just even for me as tough as I may seem I just don't open up I don't look into it Uh, and whenever I tell people I told Hairbrain a few weeks ago if you you look at the shop I said but don't read the comments but you know what people are going to do because you can't avoid it don't they're like let's see the comments you just said you can't the human brain you can't say what I what I'm avoiding or what I'm yeah, not you doing. You can't avoid a don't is what it's called. That's right. Yeah. So, um, you know, so a lot of, pe- a lot of people say, yeah, don't do this, don't do that. Well, if you tell a kid, don't spill your milk, the kid will spill the milk just to see what it looks like. <laughs> right. yeah. So it's it's part of the human mind. And I, I, I don't really study it. I just kind of, a, a, see, you've got two things in life education. You've got an IQ and an AQ. I'm strong on the AQ side, not the IQ. And most people in our industry are stronger on that. Mm-hmm. It's about your experience of life that you've got to bring to it. And I think that's what hairdressers are great at, no matter where you're coming into the beauty industry. If you happen to get into the industry later in life, it doesn't matter because you've got an AQ, which is your acquired experience. It's much better than an IQ. I didn't learn typically in school because I couldn't read books, but I'm a smart guy. So it's how you learn, and that's the key thing, and I think that's what makes me connected to the beauty industry. There's a lot of people who learn like we learn. When I do Mm -hmm. jokes on stage, I know the audience is going to laugh. I said, uh, I'm not a precision haircutter. I stopped cross-checking my work because I was so disappointed in the results. (laughs) Everybody laughs their ass off. Now, that's not because it's so funny. It's just because everybody's kind of a little bit like me. You know, you'll get the phenomenal exceptions to the rule that are, you know, perfect, precise people. But I'm just saying there's, you know, dyslexia and all that stuff. We all suffer from those types of things. So for me, I know my audience pretty well. I'm much like them. And I think that's why I always get a good time no matter where I go. So it's always a privilege to kind of do stuff like this, meet new people. But ever since I started in the industry, I made CDs. I made also, all my goal was, was common knowledge. It's stuff like this, stuff like Gordon's doing. It's what Instagram's doing that's going to give kids that live in Minnesota and all around the world that wouldn't normally have access, access. And I promise you, no longer do you have to live in New York or LA to become a dominant force in the beauty industry. It could happen from anywhere. And what I love is still being involved, still being able to make the kind of passover from the old skill to the new skill, still being able to communicate with modern technology. And I think it'll just become more and more and more effectiveness, uh, the way we're able to train and not necessarily be on flights everywhere, you know, in a room together. So keep up the good work. I'll follow you today, I promise. And, um, 
let's hope everybody listening is not having more days off than on. Um, but you know, the key of this business is network or not work just like you guys did. You made, you had the nerve to knock on our door to say, can I do an interview just like I did with Vidal. The first time I asked Vidal, could, uh, Mary called, can I interview Vidal? They said, no. And she called back and said, it's for Robert Cromie. And she said, okay, I'll do it. And uh, I'm just saying, you got to be persistent. You're either networking every day or you're not working. And I think you guys have done a great job of that. You you pinned me down in the IBS New York show weekend. Boom. And I know I'm going to see you tonight at Hairbrain, where my wife and I are giving out an award. And tomorrow I'm performing for BTC, which is going to be awesome. Uh, you'll be able to watch it online historically, because I don't know when this comes out, but you'll be able to go back there and, and see if, it's, if I'm still as good as I think I am. Right. <laughs> Touche. Well, Mr. Chromines, thank you very, very much for joining us on Your Day Off. Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon. And we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease. Peace and hair grease.